that is also another part of aging is that you, you start to think about who you are and who, who you want to be and you can take the time. And, and it's a struggle too. I think we, we reinvent ourselves at this age and if we're doing it right and we care less about things and more about you know, who we're with and, and what kind of a time we're having. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? I'm ready. Why, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Nancy, and if you can hear my voice, it means I'm not talking to myself, so that's cool. Thank you, everyone, who's been listening to the first few episodes of the podcast and sending your feedback and your encouragement. I really appreciate it. It is great to finally have the podcast out into the world since it's been living in my head for so long. I have been um, rattling around with it there for months, but now it's out and I have space for other things like worrying about whether eczema is a pre-existing condition. One little thing I wanted to mention about episode frequency, because a couple people have asked, I did roll out three episodes basically at the same time, mostly because I couldn't stand to not share my interviews with Michelle Gonzalez and Corinda Dobbins for one minute longer. They'd been sitting there waiting to go for so long. But going forward, rest assured, I am not expecting you to listen to two podcasts a day from me. I will not be keeping that pace up. So just just managing your expectations, I'm thinking a new interview every other week, and I'd love to hear if you think that's kind of an appropriate pace or what. Whether it is or not, let me be real for a second, that's what you're going to get, because I think both for podcast creators and listeners who are in the sandwich generation, where we're parenting our kids and then sometimes parenting our parents, um, I think every other week seems doable for both of us. But you let me know if you disagree. The other thing I wanted to say is that, yes, I am going to interview dudes. I know my first three interviews have been with ladies, and it must seem downright sexist to you right about now, but I do know some great Gen Xers who have XY chromosomes, and the first one will be in the next episode. So if you stay tuned to the end of this one, I'll tell you who I'm going to talk to, and um, I can't wait. It's going to be a great interview. So Just before we launch into my talk today, I just have to say it kind of set me off on a wave of nostalgia about the olden days of buying music. So my older, I have a brother who's three years older than me and an older sister as well, but my brother and I were, I think, pretty typical of teenage siblings in that we didn't hang out all that much. We just, you know, we got along, but we're much closer now than we were as teenagers. But the one thing that we could do together that was a very... It was like a neutral activity we could do together was going to Fantasy Records over in Pittsburgh, New York, in the suburb of Rochester, near where I grew up. And my brother would drive me over after dinner, and we would get to the record store, and we would fan out. He went towards The Who and Rush. I went towards Echo and the Bunnymen and The Cure. And we had the classical music buffer between us, so we could engage in this activity in a parallel way, but not overlapping at all. And so maybe that's why I have such fond, fond memories of going to record stores, because it was a nice thing to do with my brother. And it was just a nice thing in general to flip through the bins and all that. I mean, I'm sure I don't need to tell you guys that physical record stores are an endangered species, but my husband and I have a turntable, so we do listen to vinyl. 
And every time I want to get a new piece of music, I really have to follow the decision tree down. Do I want the instant gratification? I really love that Lord song, Greenlight. I want it on my iPod, but maybe I want the vinyl because it's nice to sit in the room with where the music's playing and look at the cover of the album and read the liner notes and kind of have that more encompassing music experience than just hearing her through my earbuds. So I have to make this decision every single time. And I'd be curious to know if you guys stream music. I don't really do that very much. And it's a really old-fashioned reason why I just think that content creators should get paid for what they do. And streaming doesn't seem to put much money in musicians' pockets. But then I saw an article recently that said that that's changing and that musicians can make a living through streaming. So basically, I don't know anything. I'm old and confused, and I take refuge in my milk crate full of vinyl. So I'm happy today to introduce you to one of the people who makes that milk crate full of vinyl possible, Yvonne Prince, who is the co-founder of the biggest independent music store in the world, Amoeba Music. And I am here today with Yvonne Prince. Welcome, Yvonne. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the Midlife Mixtape podcast. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Yvonne, and then I'm going to turn it over to you in case there's anything I've missed. But Yvonne is the author of several books, including the Claire series and the Vinyl Princess, which won the California Library Association's John and Patricia Beatty Award, was shortlisted for an Arthur Ellis Award for Crime Fiction, and was named to Resource Link's Year's Best of 2010 list. And we're going to talk a lot about Vinyl Princess because it is pretty much my favorite YA book. Yvonne is a Canadian living in San Francisco. And uh, she is the co-founder of Amoeba Music, the world's largest independent music store. And one other book I wanted to mention, in 2015, she released her uh, YA book, If You're Lucky. So I want to touch on that one as well. So hi, Yvonne. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. That sounded really good. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you. I read it from a paper. I actually first met you when you were reading from The Vinyl Princess at our mutual friend's wonderful bookstore, Great Good Place for Books here in Oakland. So I guess that was 2010. (laughs) And all I knew was that this YA author was coming in to read a book that had a cover that I loved. And it's this girl flipping her hair back and listening. She's got headphones on. And I think my kids were, let's see, so they were nine and 12 at the time. And I figured the 12-year-old was old enough to read it and grabbed it and read it before I gave it to her. And we both loved it. So when you had your in-store appearance, I brought her over. And I, I think afterward, I wrote you a mash note, basically. And I said, I just loved the character in this book because she's she's into music. She's a good girl, but she's not, you know, straight laced. She's not boring. She was actually a really appealing character. Yeah, I think that's where we met. We've been friends ever since. And one of the things that I realized after you did that talk was that you were also the co-founder of the record store that I go to in Berkeley and in San Francisco whenever I have a chance, and that's Amoeba. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today is because I think you as a person have gone through kind of a reinvention from a, a record store owner to a successful author. And Amoeba itself right now is going through a reinvention that I think is really interesting. So I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about that. I hope that's okay. Sure. Now, when I asked you if you would come on the podcast, you had an interesting response. You said you have your feet in the baby boomer world, but you're holding on to Gen X with your fingertips because you're kind of betwixt and between generationally. And I'm thinking that's perfect. You could maybe be our interpreter to the baby boomers. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't really feel like a baby boomer because, well, I think because I don't have children, I live in a delusional place where I don't think I'm as old as I am. Okay, so every time I have a baby boomer question, I'm going to bring it to you. And as the envoy, you can go seek wisdom and report back to me. Yeah, and I completely related to um, Gen X, Doug. uh, Douglas Copeland. Douglas Copeland. Mm -hmm. I remember reading that book and thinking, well, that's what I am. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I think a lot of people did too. Do you know who you named that book for uh, Billy Idol's band? No. Yeah, that was Billy Idol's punk band before he did his solo stuff. This is a good segue into the, you know, the first question I always ask guests on the podcast is what was the first concert you ever saw? Well, the first concert was either... And now this is Canadian, Bachman-Turner Overdrive, or, (laughs) and I think we wore glitter, which (laughs) really predated my glam phase. And um, my friend Joanne's dad drove You were in an experimental glitter phase? Yeah, Yeah, I was in a Mm -hmm. definitely experimental glitter phase. And I remember Joanne's dad drove us, and Joanne was my pot dealer, because I started (laughs) smoking pot when I was about 14. So I must have been about 15. So the other one I remember quite well was Rush and Heart. And you have to like Rush or they throw you out of Canada. Right. um, That was quite memorable too. And I remember the the BTO tickets were bad tickets because we were kids. Somehow, by the time I went to Rush and Heart, I knew how to get closer to the stage. What's your secret? Well, I think I just got more aggressive. I was pretty shy at that age. So I think I just pushed my way up to the front and possibly they had that thing where you could, you could go to the front. Now they have all that security, but back Mm -hmm. then they they didn't care. So, and then I kind of weaseled my way into backstage tickets at every other concert after that, because I started working in a record store. So I started knowing how to press the buttons and open doors, Mm -hmm. pulling some strings as David Bowie would say. (laughs) So you do a really cool thing at Amoeba, and it's often, well, it's always put up on the Amoeba website, which is having bands in to do in-store performances, and you also do these What's in My Bag videos. You want to talk a little bit about what those two things are and how that kind of builds up the relationship between the artists and the record store? Well, I have nothing to do with that, but I love it so much. And it actually is my go-to for my, you know, when I want to refresh my musical taste or remember something I forgot. And I watched one just a few days ago. Okay, I'm on Maui right now. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you're okay, everybody. She's in Maui for the winter. <laughs> no, because Northern California winter is too harsh for Yvonne. <laughs> Such a delicate snowflake. Oh my God. Um, anyway. Did you I, say you're Canadian? <laughs> so I... I um, I was going through them the other day because sometimes one slips past me and I watched the Michael Shannon one, which I was over the moon because I'm such a huge Michael Shannon fan. And I thought, please be cool. Please be cool. Please like cool music. And he just had the most beautiful taste in music. So I started listening to Thelonious Monk because that was, that's his very favorite uh, artist. Um, That was the last one he pulled out of his bag. And this is such, it's such a beautiful thing to do. And I highly recommend it, not just because I'm involved in the store, but. Well, you um, have to explain what the video is though, what the, what the premise is. So so what the premise is, is we, whether the artist is playing in our store or just dropping by or friends with one of the owners or whatever, they come in and they shop for as long as they like. And we, you know, it's all free. And then they do a video where they pull everything out of their bag that they bought and talk about it. And we edit in 
samples of music and stuff like that, or, you know, the, the producer does. It's a great way to sort of get intimate with the people you love in the business. And they're not all musicians. Often they're directors, uh, authors. Um, you can just go to the website and see the lineup. It's pretty vast. And one of the things I love about it is they always seem so happy to be in a brick and mortar music store because there really is so much downward pressure on record stores. And yet the the air inside a record store is, is so magical to me. You know, there's just the bins to go through and fellow music lovers. So I feel like it's a kind of, well, if I say sacred space, it's a little bit corny, but that's how I feel about it. Yeah, and probably yeah. you do. Yeah, I feel that way too. I mean, if you walk in and suddenly you're home and it's there's tremendous solidarity and there's a lot of, you know, when when I used to run the register at Amoeba, so there, you know, I never let people get out of the store very quickly because I was like, now why do you like this one? Tell me <laughs> <laughs> because you do, you know, I did get a lot of my musical taste. I mean, I came into the the business with a musical background. My father is a classical musician. I was raised going to Sunday concerts. My, you know, my dad went to work in a tux every day. So, you know, I, I, I had music in my background and I worked in a record store. I worked in a recording studio. But you still don't have this vast knowledge. I mean, most of the staff at Amoeba knows way more than I do about music. And so it was such an education for me to be on the front lines and ring everyone up and, and learn from the customers. And I've always found the Amoeba clerks to be very friendly, which is, you know, I think of that scene in High Fidelity with Jack Black kicking kicking the guy out who comes in for a Lionel Richie album. You know, <laughs> I never have all. had that experience at Amoeba. <laughs> They're always nice. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone's in their happy space. And um, yeah. when we notice somebody's uh, suffering from retail burnout syndrome, we, you know, send them to an insane asylum or whatever, whatever has to be done to cheer them up again. <laughs> to, get the, to get the job, they have to, you know, they have to go through a vigorous regime of testing. <laughs> what are the last five albums you bought kind of a thing? They, they hand them a box full of all genres of music and they, they make them file them. Where do they go? Yeah, and if you can't pass that, you can't work at Amoeba. So you've got all this experience. You've worked in the record, you know, uh, record business in a lot of different ways. And then at some point, you decided to write a book. So can you talk a little bit about that? I had written the Claire series, and I, I didn't feel quite that middle grade. It was a middle grade series. I didn't feel like middle grade was my thing. Because I think my teen years were were traumatic and and more you know I mean th I think everyone's teen years are but I really felt like I could relate to teenagers and so I um, sort of wrote a book about myself and my you know working in a record store and being a vinyl junkie and starting a vinyl blog and which I have to say the vinyl princess blog so Yvonne blogged in the voice of her main character for a while wrote this music blog that was my favorite music blog for a while and I kept downloading what you talked about which is how I discovered Teddy Thompson <laughs> Teddy Thompson Teddy Thompson my favorite <laughs> musical ginger so that was, I loved that aspect. I thought it was really creative and it, it made me sad when, it made me so sad when that book ended and I felt like through the blog, I got to hang out with her a little bit longer. And now it's, um, you know, it's hopefully going into production. Um, I sold the feature option a long time ago, but the woman 
who's producing it is taking advantage of the fact that I'm Canadian. So it's going to be shot in Canada. And, uh, you know, you have access to um, more funding if you if you shoot in Canada. There's tax incentives and everything. They, I think they've got the actors lined up. I've heard uh, Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols is, is signed on to play the grumpy record store owner. Oh, that's awesome. And I think Roseanne Arquette is interested in playing the mother but I don't, I don't know the rest. So, you know, hopefully it will see the light of day as a, as a movie. I'd be so excited if that happened. And do you have any other film projects coming along out of your, out of your books? Well, I'm, I'm just in negotiation for my last book, if you're lucky. And it's a nice group of people. And I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that that works out too. I mean, when you, when you option a book, you know, it's, it's anybody's guess whether it'll ever make it um, into a real movie. And, you know, optioning is, is just the first step in many, many steps. Do you think that, you know, becoming a published author, not when you were 21 necessarily, do you think having a little bit of experience under your belt was helpful in that transition in terms of this, because this is what I always think that as I get older, I'm so much less bothered by setbacks and not that I'm not bothered by them, but when stuff happens, I have a longer history to look back to and think, okay, well, this is like when that other thing didn't happen that I thought would, would unfold a certain way, but you know, something different happened instead. And I feel like I'm much better equipped to deal with disappointment and so much of writing is disappointment. So I wonder if making that switch at midlife was beneficial in a way. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I, you know, I do feel like the oldest writer in America sometimes <laughs> because so many of the people writing for young adults are young, very young. It's also a really wonderful place to be because like you said, you you have so much experience. You've had dealt with other kinds of disappointments too, way more. I'm at the point now where I'm like, whatever, sure. If if a movie happens, it happens. Great. Nice to see your name on in credits. So, you know, we've all, every writer has struggled through the editing process, yourself included. And uh, it's, it's torture. But when you can sit back and watch something you created years ago turned into something else, that's, that's always a nice thing. Now, just as you have had that reinvention, Amoeba, you know, is, is also undergoing kind of a transition. And, and in the case of Amoeba, you guys have come up with a pretty creative solution in terms of keeping traffic to the store high. So <laughs> do you want to talk about that? I haven't even, I did not mean to word it that way, but it came out perfectly. (laughs) There's, there's a lot of wonderful people working at Amoeba and of all ages. I mean, that's, that's the nice thing about the music business is that it attracts so many people from so many different lifestyles. And we were struggling in Berkeley. The UC students don't really shop in our store anymore because most of them download their, their music. And you know, there is this this hipster movement towards buying vinyl, which is very, very helpful, but it's it certainly wouldn't have, it doesn't save us. So we, uh, about five years ago, applied for a medical marijuana permit to open a dispensary. And we were finally awarded it a few months ago, and we're just in the process of um, getting our building permit. And, and that was a long and grueling process to oh, get approval. Yes. Well, we had a, we had a lobbyist 
And we worked very closely with city council who had our backs. There were a couple people on council who didn't think we should have it. I mean, and there were a lot of people applying for it. Um, so it was a really difficult permit to acquire. And, and now, you know, and it was just the beginning. So now we're, we're in the process of rearranging the store and making room to put it inside of half, half of the store in the jazz room. And so we have to move the jazz over to the other side. Jazz cigarettes available in the jazz room. <laughs> jazz, super Walk jazz. in and take a right. <laughs> and it's going to be wonderful. I think we have beautiful people lined up to run it. Some some of the people from the store. So everyone keeps their job, which is which That's was great. the reason we did this. And and we're all we're all believers, most of us users. And um, you know, it's it's kind of goes together. So as of January 20th, though, it seems like maybe the acceptance of medical marijuana and the role that it can play is probably a little more imperiled than it was prior to January 20th. So how are you guys thinking about that long term? Well, it's kind of a wait and see right now. I mean, it seems like everything is upside down and and we're all kind of holding our breath. And, um, you know, fortunately, there are so many people who who have been fighting all these years for legislation who certainly aren't going to sit down now. You know, we it's certainly on our minds that the feds are, you know, not particularly willing to work with us. But the, the tax revenue is huge. And Colorado's proved that, that, um, you know, you can do a lot with those tax dollars. Sure. I know you're working on a new book now. Is that what you're doing um, in Maui? Um, no, not at this second. Because um, no, you're talking to me. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I have a book I'm, I'm editing at home. And when I get back home, I will... Uh, I'm about halfway through, so hopefully I will get that back to my editor in, within the next few months. It's it's a powerful book, and it's delicate. It's a delicate topic. It's tr- a tremendous amount of work to get the tone just right, so I'm just not rushing it. I'm just taking my time with it. Looking down the road ahead, what's the top slot on your bucket list? What is that that you would still like to learn or accomplish? I feel like I'm waiting for some inspiration to hit. I don't have anything. I don't have anything that I that I absolutely feel like I have to do. And I suppose that's part of aging too, is that you you lose this urgency. I mean, I have days here where I'm very anxious to get back to writing, but I've purposely taken some time off to just think about what I want to do and how I want to sound and who I am. And you know, I think that is that is also another part of aging is that you you start to think about who you are and who, who you want to be. And you can take the time. And, and it's a struggle, too. I think we, we reinvent ourselves at this age. And if we're doing it right, and we care less about things and more about, you know, who we're with and, and what kind of a time we're having. And uh, so I don't really, um, I don't know. I really don't know what I'm going to be doing. You know where I was on Saturday? Um, I went to Petaluma because I'm writing a story on the Petaluma music scene for the San Francisco Chronicle. And for those of you who don't know, Petaluma is this really lovely, small, kind of a farm town about an hour north of San Francisco. And I'm I'm retiring there, Yvonne. You can come oh, with me if I'm you going want. With you. I love. Petaluma. Oh my gosh, they have so much music there, and it's just far enough outside of San Francisco that I think bands can play a major venue in San Francisco and still draw a crowd if they go to Petaluma to play the Mystic Theater or, you know, the Big Easy, something like that. And everybody was so nice. And it's just a slower pace of life. And I thought that's this is my ideal town. I can be kind of out of the hustle bustle of Oakland, which I love for now, 
but I can still go see concerts. So absolutely, and I and you know that that's the scene here too. Is it's very s- small town, and you know I live up the road from uh, Willie Nelson, and his boys grew up on this island. You know, there's there's a tremendous music scene here, and there's a lot of also you know uh, the Pahinui brothers, and uh, not on Maui but on in Hawaii, a lot of nice slack key guitar that you can go see. That's my thing too, is that you know you get to a point where you just can't do the stadiums anymore. And oh, right. it's nice to be in a community where you know the musicians and you can go watch their music in a small bar and and feel like you're part of of a of a bigger thing. And yeah, I like that. Well, one of the people that I spoke to for the article on Saturday made a a really interesting point, too. He said a lot of the folks who are up here who are musicians are mid-40s into 50s and older, and they're not as competitive as they were. So they're very supportive. If somebody's band is playing, all the other musicians come out and see them. And he said it's really this kind of much more relaxed vibe around bands that may even be considered competitive because of the kind of music they're making. But it's at least in Petaluma, it's... It's much mellower. Now, that could also be because the Lagunitas Brewery is in, I thought it was in Lagunitas. It's in Petaluma, and that's my favorite beer. So oh, that wow. would make me mellow and supportive if I had quick access to Maybe Lagunitas you, you all could the time. get a job there like Laverne and Shirley. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. I think we, now, now we have to. Yeah, you could be Laverne. I'll be Shirley. No, you'd be Shirley. No, we'd have to think that over. Yeah. I got to I gotta think that through. Yeah. Okay, great. So I have one more question for you, and that is what one piece of advice do you have for people younger than you or uh, conversely that you wish you could go back and tell yourself? You know, I think I feel peaceful about everything now. And and even the, the whole political situation, you know, I've, I've taught myself, you know, I'm very involved, I'm very political, even as a Canadian, I'm, I'm very concerned about the direction this country has taken. But... You have to you have to take care of yourself, and you have to find your peace in whatever way you can. And in terms of my career, I've never been more peaceful. And I wish that I'd known that when I was twenty five, because I was always anxious and 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 so needing attention when I should have just had my head down, writing, writing, writing. That's that's really all you can do is keep writing until your best work comes out. You know, I've thrown some really crappy work out into the world, not not in my books because I've had great editors, but you know, I think that I think that you just have to be at peace and not and not let the bigger world disturb where you're going. Just relax and enjoy it. Yeah, may we all get there, right? Yeah, or may we all may we all at least enjoy trying. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm certainly not where I wish I was as a writer, but but now I'm now I don't care anymore. I want I want to be a good writer. I want to put good work out into the world. But I but I'm willing to sort of sit back and, and let what I've already got out there percolate for a while while I think about where I want to go next. And I'm not going to stop writing. I have no intention of, of not writing, but I'm really glad that I am taking my time. Yvonne Prince, thank you so much for talking with me for the podcast. Um, thank you so much and good luck with the Amoeba Transition in Berkeley will be eager to hear how it goes. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. 
I really like what Yvonne had to say about taking time to think and to let projects percolate because I don't know how to do that. I am terrible at percolating. And it fascinates me when I talk to people who are so comfortable with it. I have been a list maker from the time I could hold a pencil. And I'm that kind of list maker who writes down stuff I've already done just for the joy of being able to cross it off. And I've always envied perfectionists because I have no idea what it feels like to delay and improve and make incremental changes instead of just reaching the good enough point and moving on. And I know there are things I've put out into the world that needed a little bit more simmering time. And yes, I just opened the door for you to say, yeah, like this stupid podcast. Um, If you say that, though, I just want to point out that I've kept you hooked for 20 minutes so far. So the other thing is that I always feel like there's something that needs doing right now under my nose. And maybe that's because I work from home. You know, I can run a load of laundry between conference calls, or I can call the orthodontist to make an appointment while I'm driving home from carpool. And it's very easy to feel needed and important all the time. Even if the only thing that needs you is the bathroom sink drain, which is clogged with your daughter's ballerina hair. But at the same time, I get what Yvonne is saying, and I totally see the benefit of stepping away from things for a little bit and coming back to them with fresh eyes or renewed clarity. So how do you guys make yourselves do that? I'm curious to know, and I'd love to hear from you. When have you let things percolate and had it pay off in a big way? Maybe if I can create a groundswell of evidence, I'll be able to force myself to just slow down, take my time, and let things evolve as they're supposed to. If you're a list maker like me, how how did you make yourself stop and just stare into space for that good fertile thinking time? I'd love to know. That's it for this week's edition of the Midlife Mixtape Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. Show notes with links to everything we talked about on this episode, including Yvonne's books, Vinyl Princess and If You're Lucky are available at midlifemixtape.com and just go to the podcast tab and you'll see the show notes there. And as always, I would love to hear your thoughts and suggestions for the show. You can join the conversation on the Facebook page or email me directly. Finally, if you like what you're hearing, I know I've asked before, but it makes a big difference. Please consider leaving a review wherever you're listening, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever. So are you guys ready to hear who the next guest is? First of all, it's a guy. I promised you it would be. I'm going to be talking with Tim Goodman, who is the chief television critic for The Hollywood Reporter. And we are going to be talking about the art of the pivot. And we're going to talk about some Gen X TV touchstones. So I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. And I hope you'll join us. Have a great week, you guys. I don't want to be this. Don't want to be that. Don't want to give up. I want to give back. I want to be free by whatever means. Whatever you want from me, I want to be. Back. I wanna be free by whatever means Whatever you want from me I wanna be, be, be I wanna be I wanna be free by whatever means